grab your popcorn and snacks, find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Hey, 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 welcome. <laughs> Look at this. This is how it's going already. Welcome to tonight's show, California Haunts Radio. Uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour. I think we've got a really good show coming up for you today. Brett Rains is going to be on, and he has been a UFO. I'm not going to say aficionado, but an investigator, and really, really, you know, looking into this stuff since he was a kid. And I'm really excited to speak with him uh, tonight. Um, I am the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. You can find the investigation team at www.californiahaunts.org. And also this radio show is part of that team. And uh, we broadcast really from www.californiahauntsradio.com. And if you visit that site, you can actually go back and see all the archives for the last year and a half. But the reality of it all is that the California Hunts radio show just hasn't been on an hour and a half, uh, or a year and a half. It's been on a year and a half in this format. However, it's been on for the last 10 years because we were on Block Talk Radio all that time before we made the switch over to this format. So we've been on for a while and we've had a lot of guests. And uh, I'm actually going to post the archives from Block Talk Radio on the radio website as well when I, when I get some time. And, uh, you know, the holidays are done. We're going to have all the links to those shows as well on that part on that site anyway i want to again i want to welcome you all thank you all um you know if you if you like what you see tonight click on subscribe especially if you're watching from youtube click on subscribe because we're looking for subscribers we're always building up you know everybody's looking for subscribers i was in a uh, starbucks the other day and uh, this little boy couldn't have been more than 12 or 13 years old maybe maybe younger made a scene in starbucks he was dancing around by the tables and stuff and then he looked up and said if you like what you see subscribe to my youtube channel so it's happening everywhere. Everybody wants to subscribe, get subscribers for the YouTube channel. I'm no different. So if you could find it in your heart to subscribe, that would be great. You know, the more subscribers, the merrier. Again, um, in a couple minutes here, we're going to get started up with Brent. I see him in the green room. Brent in the green room. And what I call the green room. He's in that he's he's in that area where like, you know, like, like when you're playing Super Mario and Mario falls off the uh, off the cliff. That's where he's at right now. He's kind of floating out there in cyberspace. I always have this vision with, with those Mario games that that one day you're going to look and you're going to look, you know, be able to arrow down and you're going to see like thousands and thousands and millions of Marios all stacked up, you know, in a big mountain at the bottom down there where they end up after getting run over by the rocks and, and everything else that they have to deal with and eaten by the plants and, you know, whatever. But uh, that's where Brent's right now. So anyway, I'm going to update you guys on some stuff. Sunday, Sunday the 19th of December. We've got an event coming up, a really cool event. Solstice is coming up, Winter Solstice. And uh, Stephanie Page Belson from our team, a really good medium, he's been with the team for a long time, is going to be doing Solstice readings. And if you guys are interested in that, go, please visit uh, www.californiahauntsradio.com and check it out where it says uh, there's a section at the top that I believe says extras. You click on that and you'll go to events and you can – you can check out the event and sign up right there. And she's going to be doing three readings per person. You can ask any questions you want. Um, she's going to be using tarot cards and other things. So, you know, 
you're going to get a, a varying way she's doing the reading. I just want to give everybody a heads up. Um, a lot of people on Facebook know this already. I, my 17-year-old dog um, had a stroke Sunday late um, or early Sunday morning, and uh, so she's going to be going this this week at some point to be put to sleep. Right now, the weather's so bad that I'm trying to pick a nice clear day to take her because I don't want the wind blowing her off <laughs> off the hand truck and stuff that I need to, ha to take her out on, you know, to put her in the car. So I'm just waiting on a clear sunny day to take her in, but I'm going to be having her put down um, this week. So if you hear her in the background, she does, she's not in any pain, but she, um, she's a very proud dog, very active. She's an Australian Kelpie. She's a, she's a working dog, a retired worker. And so if she wants to get up and she wants to walk around the house and stuff. And then when she can't do that, she gets very frustrated. So she'll bark and then she'll, she'll, um, kind of whine or moan but like i said she's not in pain it's because she's so frustrated because she can't walk and uh, this goes on all, all night long off and on until she settles down for like four or five hours at a time and i sleep when she sleeps right now so i'm just going to give you a heads up so if you hear her in the background that's that's what that is you know if you, if you, if you hear a dog barking or, or a dog kind of whimpering or moaning back there that's her trying to get around the kitchen because she's in the kitchen right now so um yeah I've had her for 10 years. She's 17 years old, and uh, it's been quite the ride because she is reactive. She's a rescue dog, and so um, she'll only tolerate me. You know, she's just one of those dogs, and uh, it's been an interesting relationship. You know, I've had to bend my house for her, you know, and people come over. I have a room for her to be in, so nobody gets bit or anything like that, you know, and uh, it's it's been an interesting thing to adjust to. But anyway, on a happier note, we're here today. We're here together. We're going to have a good show. And uh, I think we got a good week of shows, actually, that we're going to be doing. But uh, the holidays are coming and uh, family, everything else, you know. And so, uh, yeah. So without further ado, let me get our guest up here and we can start the show. Hello, sir. Hey. Hello, Charlotte. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Doing all right. Uh, it's good to be uh, out of the – I'm kind of – Kind of light colored here. It's uh, I look ghost like. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about you. Okay, well, uh, I've been interested in the the UFO subject since age 14. It was way back in the 60s. You know, back in 1966, there was a huge wave of sightings. That was the year that uh, Dr. Jalen Hynek uttered the word swamp gas in Michigan and caused quite a quite a stir at that time. And, um, you know, it, it was, uh, soon after that, that Frank Edwards, a uh, well-known author and, and broadcaster, uh, uh, from Indiana had written a book, uh, called flying sauce serious business, which I, I later found out that he wrote in, in six weeks, you know, to cash in on the, uh, the huge wave of sightings. But uh, Michigan was, you know, a hot spot, but there were all kinds of sightings elsewhere. I'm originally from Maine, mm -hmm. and uh, up in Maine, we had, uh, in, in March of 66, when all the Michigan activity was going on, we had uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, John King up in Bangor, uh, Maine, who uh, said he had seen a dome disc object just maybe a foot off the ground, and... Uh, took uh, four shots at it with a, with a pistol, and he heard at least two pings off the surface of the craft, proving to him that it was, you know, solid, and he reported it to police afterwards. So um, Maine's had its, uh, its shares, as well, every other state. So, I mean, that was what really brought me into the whole, you know, UFO thing, and, 
And uh, by January of 67, at age 14, I started clipping, uh, you know, things out of the newspaper, collecting all the, the magazines and books that I could. And um, I, uh, I thought, you know, it had to be one thing. My, my focus was, as many people, you know, getting into the field, that it was um, just strictly extraterrestrial nuts and bolts visitors from, from space. And, and um, as I got into it more and more, I found out there's a lot of uh, strange uh, crossover type uh, events, manifestations. And, and it, uh, you know, it really makes you begin to, to wonder just what is going on. And now we're into the, the science of uh, people, you know, the scientists, uh, quantum physicists and everything. And I don't know whether it's extraterrestrial or ultra terrestrial, uh, you know, anything's possible. It could be both, I guess. Uh, you know, we could be talking other dimensions and they, you know, it's still, um, we hear rumors and stories about crash saucers and, you know, the military's covered it up, captured, you know, they got the the craft and the, the alien bodies, but uh, no one's produced it yet. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's a lot of frustration, but there are a lot of good sightings. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot of talk of disclosure here, particularly in recent years, with the you know the uh, the Pentagon had that ATIP program, and, and the New York Times reporting you know on these these events, uh, the pilots, the Navy pilots, and so on, and and uh, the sightings they've had, which were very impressive. But you know we've we've always had uh, reports of you know billion people in the military having very impressive uh, observations and tracking on radar, and uh, so. You know, um, it's good that it's, you know, opening up some, but it's not really anything, anything new. And if, uh, anyway, um, I have, uh, with my interest, I have got an online magazine that I began back in uh, 1985, uh, and it's still churning along. Uh, it started out as like a four-page little uh, print newsletter called uh, Periufology Forum. And uh, I got the idea from a longtime ufologist who was also into the uh, paranormal and UFO connection and so on, uh, Alan Greenfield, who I talked to recently, and I told him that I kind of lifted the idea for the newsletter from him because uh, he had a newsletter called Periufologist. And I liked the idea that we weren't just strictly looking at, at one theory or whatever, that we were looking at alternative uh, aspects as well. So it was uh, – and then I became alternate – you know, we became alternate perceptions, and yeah, let's see. Here's a copy of the magazine. Um, cool. We uh, we had for you know we had a print magazine. This was about 68 pages up until about 2001, and then of course we saw that everybody was going to the World Wide Web, so uh, we migrated there, and now we're free. So I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, but I've written uh, three books so far. Uh, in 2004, the uh, uh, Visitors from Hidden Realms, my first book, and then in 2009, um, I uh, had published uh, On the Edge of Reality, and in uh, just a couple of years ago, 2019, uh, John A. Keel, The Man, the Myths, and the Ongoing Mysteries. And uh, that, uh, of course, that was uh, a very special book to me because it, uh, it was John Keel, who was a, a New York journalist who actually was you know investigating UFOs. Most people know him because of his uh, book, The Mothman Prophecies, mm-hmm. uh, which became a movie in 2002 with Richard Gere, which John Keel told me that 
he was much more handsome than Richard Gere. But anyway, we'll leave that to everyone's, you know, uh, opinion. But uh, uh, he impressed me with the way that he uh, had conducted field work and, and a lot of research and uh, looked at alternative uh, ideas and uh, did things a lot of the people in the UFO community weren't doing. So I decided, um, you know, just uh, about three years ago, I guess, that I would go ahead and and write a, not just a biography about him, but, uh, you know, the things I followed up on that he had uh, described and other people who knew him and had been influenced by his, uh, his writings and his research. And uh, so anyway, that in a nutshell is uh, how I got involved and uh, what I've been, been up to. And you started this at a fairly young age. I mean, you weren't even in high school yet. Right, I was I was fourteen um, when I when I started out, quite young, and uh, I actually had a lot of correspondence across the uh, the country. And very soon, I, you know, the magazines, the newspapers, I would get on the telephone uh, and make calls long distance. Back then, you actually had a real operator on the other end. That's right. You could, yeah, you could you could call. Uh, you know, look up, uh, say, as a magazine article about uh, uh, some uh, Tony Davis, let's say, in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and you get the operator to check, you know, in that the operator in that area to uh, look up the number, and uh, if they were really good, you could say, uh, could you give me the address, too, and then you could write him a letter, and because, um, you know, at the time, my father wasn't too keen on me making a lot of long-distance phone calls, so if I could write him a letter, that was always good. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 1969, I uh, I had uh, actually here I was, you know, real young, wet behind the ears. But I I got a uh, I got to be on the board of directors of a of a magazine out of St. Petersburg, Florida, called Saucer Scoop, mm -hmm. and uh, it uh, that kind of put me out in the front there a little bit. And John Keel. Um, who uh, was the, you know, the journalist at the time who was becoming quite well known for his research, and that's Keel on the on the cover of my book uh, about uh, about him, his work, and mm -hmm. and the kind of cases he investigated, and and other people who were involved with him and followed up. So I actually engaged in a correspondence with Keel in in October of 1969. The with the articles he was writing for this magazine, Saucer Scoop he would have his address in there. So, you know, I just, uh, I was really impressed with, uh, you know, the research and, and the investigations of what he was describing. So um, I just had to go ahead and uh, with my obsession and contacting people, start writing him. And so he had a newsletter called Anomaly. And so uh, I had a, a mimeograph newsletter called Saucer Scoop. I mean, that's uh, sorry, <laughs> saucer scoop on the brain. Uh, the scientific uh, saucerritis review, and his was anomaly. And so I would exchange, uh, you know, newsletters with him by mail, and uh, and then uh, we also, you know, had a lot of written correspondence. He actually wrote me one day uh, a it was a two page letter in and of itself single space typewritten and then a whole one page devoted to a ps 
so it was three pages all together, which I still have uh, in a folder, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I thought, wow, you know, this is a this is a busy guy, and he took the time to write me, you know, this long, long letter. Um, so anyway, it uh, that was how I, I I got started. I have been involved with uh, uh, traveling around myself. I wanted to do what Keel had done, and uh, I saved up money and. Uh, I spent almost the whole summer of 1975 traveling from Maine to, to Florida and, and meeting a lot of people in a lot of different states along the way, researchers, witnesses. Um, in fact, I live now in Tennessee, which is how I ended up here in Tennessee. <laughs> and uh, uh, there was a young lady down here, uh, Joan Martin, now Joan Rains, who uh, had seen a UFO. And... Um, there was a gentleman in a couple county, three counties over from here who was writing a uh, column in a newspaper where he was mentioning UFO sightings. And so she was getting the information, gathering clippings for me and such. And then I come down and met this gentleman and then he introduced me to his different witnesses and things. So uh, it's been quite a quite an interesting experience. And, uh, you know, before that, you know, one week I'd be into this, one week I'd be into something else, and and then I got, you know, hooked on the UFO thing, and it's been an obsession. <laughs> In the only years that you've been doing this, um, what report, you know, from somebody that, st that, that that sticks out in your head? You know, which one you think is the most plausible and, and, and interesting? Uh, well, I... I try to just... Um, there's, I mean, there's a lot of them, really, and, you know, I, I try to... Uh, try to connect the dots and see, you know, like the similarities and different patterns, you know, that I, I could uh, maybe find and from, from one case to another. Um, the, uh, oh, um, I've not, I've known a lot of great people. I even, you know, from being from Maine, I could just drive 95 miles down uh, interstate 95 and be in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And, uh, uh, visit with uh, Betty Hill, who was one of you know the most famous abductee experiencers, and uh, I uh, got to you know. In fact, I spent about uh, four days uh, that she gave me an invitation to come over to her mother's home over in Kingston, New Hampshire, uh, where she was raised, and I met her and her sister, who was uh, actually. Uh, Kathy Martin's mother, and I, I heard all kinds of interesting stories, and uh, and during that time, uh, you know, went out and sky watched, and we uh, drove down to Massachusetts and interviewed a, a couple who claimed they had had alien encounters, and uh, so it was, uh, and then she came up to Maine and visited a couple of days, did a, a talk locally, um, had a uh, you know, I put it in the paper and, and we had pretty good audience. It was a little school classroom, but we, we filled it up pretty well. And, uh, and while she was there, I, I drove her around and visited different uh, people that I knew who were, you know, having sightings. So um, it's uh, as far as just one single case, I, I don't, don't know. Um, <laughs> but there are a lot of, as I say, the, um, uh, high strange crossover and in my book uh on john keel you know he was a, a journalist who 
uh, traveled to a lot of places around the world. And, and uh, in 1966, he decided, you know, being back in New York City and all the UFO sightings being reported that he was going to uh, write about that. And his first thought was that it was, you know, simply E.T. And uh, he even he started out by going to the Pentagon and talking to someone from Project Blue Book. And and they the guy tried. There's nothing to this UFO business. Just, uh, you know, just leave it alone. And, and Keel told him, well, I I I disagree. He said, I've I've seen one of those things. So I know it's 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 real. And. Uh, so he decided after that that he was going to gather. He had had subscribed to different newspaper clipping services and was gathering lots of uh, stories, reading a ton of material, and uh, catching up on all the the background. And he did something that a lot of people at the time were were uh, in the field were being, you know, negligent of doing. Is uh, he actually went around and uh, started finding people who had contact experiences uh, had met you know landed craft and there were beings that came out you know and uh, people with missing time which a lot of the researchers at the time didn't want to uh, you know deal with those kind of cases because they thought they were too controversial probably hoaxes or people who were deluded and question years later along came bud hopkins and uh, whitley streber and uh you know things kind of changed but uh there's still a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, so as for the best case, I don't know. It depends on how you look at it. Um, mm -hmm. I suppose to the average ufologist, it might be uh, the best case, uh, like some of the recent uh, activity uh, where you have pilots and you have radar tracking mm -hmm. and if if you know you get all that documented, then it shows that there's a a real phenomena there. It's not just a uh, psychological manifestation. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, one of uh, one of the most interesting cases somebody asked me recently in in uh, about Keel's work and what was the most interesting thing to you. Mm -hmm. In that, and having just written a book, um, I say, I know a lot of people would say, oh, the Mothman or the MIB or something along those lines. But to me, it was um, discovering that, uh, you know, John Keel had uh, had a visit from someone the night that the Silver Bridge in, in uh, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, uh, on the Ohio River had collapsed. And of course, anyone who is familiar with that story. Um, there was different predictions of uh, some sort of disaster was going to happen on the river. They weren't sure what, but it was like Christmas packages floating in the waters. And and this was just on uh, December 15th, 1967, when this happened. Keel felt there was something going to happen that night, and he was watching the television in his apartment. Um, and even uh, a gentleman by the name of Dan uh, Drazen showed up. And uh, and uh, this Dan Drazen was actually a documentary documentary producer who had uh, seen a uh, UFO just earlier in 1966 um, when Keel was just uh, 
I think it was 66. Just anyway, somewhere within that time period that he had had a sighting um, looking across from a uh, museum that he and a fiance of his were visiting. And, uh, um, oh, I'm giving so much background here. But okay. <laughs> they were at a museum in, in New York City, and they were looking across the Hudson River. It was a beautiful day at the um, at these uh, the Palisades, these cliffs over in, over in the New Jersey side. And uh, being a, a, uh, a pilot, uh, Dan noticed that uh, here was this oval-shaped object moving along in front of the cliffs, and it's going north, and then all of a sudden, without, uh, you know, like a normal craft would do, say, taking a, a angular turn, a curving, and, you know, changing direction, it just stopped and then went back the other way. So he thought this is a very interesting phenomenon. So it was a, a UFO that he and his fiance had observed. So a few days later, he was uh, told by a friend that, uh, yeah, there's a guy named John Keel who's going to do a talk here in New York City. Uh, you ought to go introduce yourself. So he actually, you know, went, met him. They hit it off. Uh, he was actually going to try to get a, like, um, uh, I think the public broadcasting or someone to do a doc, you know, to allow him to do a documentary and, and they mm -hmm. would uh, put it together. And uh, that would have been wonderful if it had happened. Unfortunately, the last minute, everything looked good. And then they pulled the funding, but he made uh, four trips down to, you know, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, where Keel was uh, very busy in 67 to, uh, you know, investigating all the UFO sightings and this thing mm -hmm. that they call the, the Mothman. The, uh, the creature generally reported is uh, six feet tall or so and, and uh, um, had red eyes and uh, was terrorizing a lot of the, the, the people. And, and there were a lot of strange MIB type, men in black type uh, cases and uh, unusual psychic poltergeist uh, events that seemed to uh, be going on that somehow seemed connected to all this. Mm -hmm. And so anyway, on this night that the Silver Bridge collapsed, I kind of went the long route to, to get there. Sure. But uh, it was December December 15th, 1967. And, um, and a friend had showed up that he had been his best man at his wedding, I think back around 1950. Mm -hmm. And uh, he hadn't seen him in a while. And so he was glad to see him, and he invited him into his apartment. They went out to eat. Uh, they even went to a, a, a UFO talk that was going on in town. So they spent several hours together, and he was with him in the uh, apartment when uh, uh, Dan was there. And uh, then there was the uh, report came over the TV about the Silver Bridge collapse. And, uh, you know, Dan saw him. He, said uh, he was a big guy with a strong handshake, big hands. And, um, you know, what? Uh, he didn't, nobody thought anything unusual. Keel said the guy was uh, his friend. He had his appearance, his mannerisms, uh, the memories that they shared. Anyway, later on, he uh, sees, uh, sees the man's wife in a, a local department store. And Macy's, and uh, he says, hi there, how you doing? Uh, I saw your husband a while back and started telling his, you know, the guy's wife, when, 
December, you know, 1967. And mm -hmm. she says, well, John, he, he died of a heart attack back in July of 1965. And he says, no, 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 you must be mistaken. She says, John, I was there. He's my, he was my husband. I'm not mistaken, you know. So uh, that caused Keel some, he admitted some sleepless nights. Uh, Dan had sent me a copy of, of the letter, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that Keel had written him. Um, so, um, you know, Keel claimed he had all kinds of very strange experiences during his investigations of um, on Long Island and down in West Virginia and, and other locations. Um, during that that time back around 66 and on so uh, and then he uh then keel passed as i mentioned in my book in in uh actually in um on july 3rd of, of uh 2009 and you know i was you know thought oh gee i mean this uh, guy who contributed so much and he's no longer no longer with us. And uh, in the meantime, the following year, I had, uh, I began working with a couple of uh, people who were alien abductees and also had a lot of psychic ability. And uh, one of them, Brett Oldham, introduced us to uh, how he operated a so-called ghost box. Yeah. Since we're in the paranormal, you know, um, so anyway, I was I was skeptical. I mean, I had tried years earlier to get some EVP, but I was the kind of guy that says, "No, that's uh, that's Joe in the next room. That's not a ghost." You know, I was I was the debunker. Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case, though, we got on more than one occasion. John Keel, you know, Brett asked a you know asked his spirit guy, "Can you get?" Uh, John Keel to say his name and within about two seconds, a clear audio, John Keel. And uh, I was pretty, pretty floored. And still, you know, I, I wanted to make sure there's no tomfoolery going on. So I got, I got my own ghost box and, and uh, began operating it here at my house, 70 something miles away from where we were that night. And, uh, and I got, uh, you know, John Keel Brent and then Bert here. Bert was a well-known psychiatrist who worked on the UFOs and the paranormal that uh, consulted with Keel a great deal. And I had spent about 37 years corresponding with him. He passed away in September of, uh, of 2010. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of this, I, I really became really impressed. It was, uh, we'd gotten John Keel a little earlier, but it was in, you know, exactly a year later, July 3rd, of 2010 from you know when when he had died and uh i was at we were all at the home of sandy nichols and thompson station who who has a group called the alien research group and uh who's also claims he's a alien abductee himself and uh so we did two sessions that night and we had two stereo speakers uh we had i think three tape recorders and we were recording our session and uh we got John Keel. We got uh, uh, Brett asked asked uh, you know he asked uh, John Keel what what uh, what do you think about Bigfoot? Because uh -huh. Keel had studied all kinds of cryptid uh, creatures and so on, which he 
called monsters instead of cryptids, but, uh, you know, sea monsters, uh, Bigfoot, Mothman, they were all, all of interest to him. So, you know, one of his first books in, in 1970 was Strange Creatures from, from Time and Space. And he called it an encyclopedia of monsters. And uh, so when Brett asked him about Bigfoot, this uh, very uh, prominent male voice, again, it, uh, spoke and said, uh, smut Bigfoot, see? <laughs> and then there were two other voices that followed it saying, see, see. Hmm. Um, and uh, in my own work now, one of Brett's main contacts that he gets, you know, when he does his sessions is a, a fellow named Bishop, whoever Bishop may be. And uh, he also comes through on when I do sessions. Um, other people, it's, you know, different people. But I guess he, uh -huh. since he, since, uh, you know, Brett showed me the, the ropes on this, uh, I've inherited him too. But uh, I've also got another one named Philip, who I think Brett gets occasionally. But uh, Keel himself was always suspicious, you know. He thought they were, you know, that these things were tricksters, the ultra-terrestrials, and they often didn't tell the truth. And uh, and so uh, if Keel were alive, he'd be telling us, no, that's not really me. But <laughs> since he can't tell us that and he's on the other side, well, you know, I can't be 100% sure. <laughs> but, uh, boy, I look really white, whited out on, on my end. <laughs> Just my <laughs> Do you think that a lot of the um, parent the, the uh, EVPs that people get, you know, on paranormal investigations, aren't what we what we think they are? That they are in fact aliens. Well, there's some kind of interactive intelligence. That's about all I can can tell you. I'm kind of I feel kind of like Keel did on his business cards years ago when he would put out that he was a uh, a journalist a photographer and not an authority on anything. Uh, because, you know, <laughs> I just really, you know, I would like to know, of course, that's why I keep at it, but I, right. I, I'm cautious, you know, I, you know, I, um, I, uh, I deal with uh, some interesting characters in that process. Um, you know, I've recently uh, got some audio where I, you know, uh, as I had been warned years ago, they can use some very bad language. And this is an AM frequency. And FCC requires that, you know, they're not supposed to use that kind of language right. anyway. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the notorious F word is on there, you know. And you can hear it. And uh, I've gotten it at visiting different homes uh, recently, two different homes. And uh, so, we, we, you know, we always do a kind of uh, a protection uh, ask the, that which is our own, you know, for our highest good come through and ask the white light of Christ, uh, something, you know, that everybody is, feels comfortable with. And, um, and uh, the, you know, Bishop and Philip are supposed to, as our tech guides, to kind of keep out some of the, the buttheads, you know, but uh, uh -huh. they, they, some of them still get through, obviously. Um, I'm not sure what, uh, what, Bishop and Phillips qualifications are, but uh, um, they brought us some interesting sessions. I'll say that. What is a, a common thread that you found with um, abductees or if there is a common thread? Well, I, um, 
in the people that I've, I've met, interviewed, and read about, and uh, working with the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial and Extraordinary Experiences, and uh, the UFO Contact Center International, which is, is no longer exists, but I worked with them for several years out, of, out on the West Coast in Washington State. Um, again and again, they have a, a lot of these people have uh, quite, a, quite a psychic profile. They're encounter prone, a lot of these experiences, uh, and not just the UFOs and, and the euphonauts, but also, uh, you know, they, a lot of times they develop psychic abilities, uh, even in conjunction with a, the first close encounter or something like that. But not always. Some of them are just uh, born with psychic, mediumistic, uh, you know, abilities. But when they have their um, encounters, it seems a lot of times like it it increases, and uh, it seems to be more high profile than just uh, you know an average cross section of of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, you know the the free organization. That I mentioned the Dr. Rigan Mitchell uh, free. Uh, they did a lot of statistical work. They had over three thousand, you know, submissions uh, in their in their survey from all over the world from experiences, and and that psychic profile was uh, was a dominant characteristic, mm-hmm. and uh, with all kinds of psychic abilities, and so that seems to play play into it. Uh, and also transformative uh, experiences, not just, you know, the people who are t- traumatized by the experience and you know, describe a forceful abduction. A lot of, a lot of these people were uh, describing how they, uh, it changed them for the better and it made them realize that they weren't alone and uh, uh, it, it deepened uh, their spiritual beliefs and such. And... Um, but you know, it's it's. Uh, I still kind of, uh, kind of cautious with with what I accept. Um, you know, the Keel Valley. They all thought that we were kind of potentially being manipulated. That uh, uh, there were so many different scenarios, uh, so many different groups. I, I I know I've I've heard people say, "Oh, this we're being visited by ninety six civilizations," and then someone else will say. I've identified 75 and it's like, I don't know. The surface appearances of these things can, can be, uh, I think quite misleading. You know, it's, uh-huh. uh, uh, there's an interactive intelligence, just like the voices, uh, you know, say on a, on a spirit box, but, uh, how do you know what you're actually dealing with? So it's, uh-huh. uh, uh, you hear from people who claim to be, relatives on the other side or i mean we even um when we were doing it uh with the group that i was involved with they even uh as i predicted would happen uh went ahead and used the spirit box to contact aliens and uh one night a, a ufo was seen right over the roof of uh sandy's home by two of the participants uh during the night that they were trying to contact aliens so you know um, anyway, sounds pretty, pretty wacky. I know. <laughs> no, it doesn't really sound wacky. I mean, <laughs> you think about all the people that I know that have psychic abilities, you know, over the years as a ghost hunter, 
And it makes sense to me because a lot of these reports that come in from people that have been abducted claim that they don't physically talk to these these aliens. They're talking to them with their minds. So oh, it's yeah, yeah. logical to me that a lot of a lot of people that have abilities are the ones that are getting abducted so they can communicate back and forth. Yeah, I always thought that it was interesting. A lot of the researchers who were investigating abductees didn't want to hear about the psychic element, but yet mm -hmm. so many of the abductees were saying, oh, uh, we didn't talk um, vocally. It was mind to mind, telepathically, you know. Um, and uh, and they, you know, really, some of them, a lot of them, I think in the beginning, uh, the reason Keel got a, got a leg up on it was because a lot of the researchers only wanted to deal with the objects, the craft, and try to gain, gain credibility. And they knew, you know, they also were pushing for, you know, pub, you know, uh, government disclosure. Uh, one organization would be going after the Air Force, another one would be going after CIA, um, you know. Uh, but they were all trying to get the truth out there, and they felt like if they uh, dealt with the contactee phenomena, which mm -hmm. which was really prominent back in the 50s, and I know that with NICAP, uh, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, which was a prominent organization founded back in 1956, and was located in Washington, D.C. Uh, by a major ex a retired Major Donald E. Kehoe. Um, you know, he was a serious-minded, no-nonsense military man, and he he didn't want uh, these stories of uh, space brothers and space sisters and, you know, all that uh, sort of stuff clearing up his, uh, his efforts. So mm -hmm. he was always uh, denouncing that uh, fringe movement. Um, of course, now we've gone full circle and we have people who are really taking it serious. A lot of PhD people and, and scientists who uh, are, you know, like with free making a major study and saying, hey, these people seem to be quite, uh, quite sane. They're claiming to have these uh, remarkable encounters. They claim to have like a transformational experience that's changing their lives for the better, even though we're not sure what exactly is going on. They... Uh, they seem quite sincere, and they're a lot of them are not uh, some, uh, you know, drunk or druggy. They're they're respected um, PhD people and such, different you know fields of science. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's what's drawn some of the people in the free program to be working with them because they have had you know, pretty incredible experiences they claim themselves, and. Um, do you have like a uh, when when you interview people that have been abducted like or claim they've been abducted? Do you have like a checklist that that you go by? You know, you're looking for certain things, or how's that work? Well, I have had my own little survey form and and uh, things that you know I've I've looked for, but um, I mainly just try to start out a with an interview um, with uh, just letting that individual tell about their experiences, their life, anything anomalous that's ever happened, and not put any kind of uh, uh, pressure on them or, or, or uh, any kind of suggestion that I have uh, certain ideas about it all. Um, that I want it to be, uh, I forget what the word is, um, but a, uh, they're, they're, they're just completely <clears throat> feel free to tell me everything they can they can uh, possibly tell me about their their life and their experiences um, without me interrupting, without uh, 
you know, saying, well, I don't believe that, you know, <laughs> or something as some people have done. Um, and a good example of that is uh, Jacques Vallée wrote in uh, his confrontations about a uh, witness he went to interview out in California. And this was uh, after some other ufologists had already been visiting this person and he'd read the report. And uh, this witness reported to Vallée, who's listening very attentively and, and non-judgmentally, um, the witness tells how this craft rose up from the ground and it went up this valley, passed right through these trees, through the trees, not around them, but through them like they weren't even there. And um, Valley caught that and says, uh, well, um, that wasn't in these investigators' reports. And she says, well, I didn't uh, tell them about it because I could tell already that if I had, from what they had told me in advance, that they would have, uh, you know, not believed it and probably just folded up their, you know, their recorders and everything and just left. <laughs> um, and then she also described another experience of seeing a being appearing at her bedside. And she could tell from what they had already told her, they weren't going to believe that. So she didn't bother to tell them, but Valley seemed to be quite open-minded and professional. And so she shared those details and that, you know, um, for Valley that uh, made him realize that uh, a lot of things get kind of censored from, you know, in that way. And so an unstructured interview, that's the, what I was trying to think of. Uh, okay. I try to adopt that approach where I let them talk it out first and tell me what, um, whatever they can remember. And then afterwards, after I think, you know, we've drained the swamp, I can ask them, um, what uh you know what exactly happened with whatever you know go go start picking through the details but uh again not uh you know they're the experiencer they're the ones who need to tell me and and i uh, you know i'm not going to cast any any judgment um on it i just want to hear whatever that they feel you know that they had experienced in their own words not mine or you know i don't want to um uh, push them into a corner, you know, and uh, just the facts and nothing but the facts. <laughs> right. Right. I find all this very interesting because, I mean, there, there's just so many reports of, of, of this stuff going on that, you know, you, you can't really deny people. You know what I mean? It's because, mm -hmm. it's. It, I mean, in the beginning when, when the reports were sparse, I could see people being cynical about what happened to these these people that are claiming to be abducted and and stuff? But now there's just so much of it that it, it's hard to deny it. But on the other hand, you know, just like with paranormal stuff, since the TV shows have been out, you have to be really really careful when you're interviewing people too to make sure that they're telling you the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You do. Um, and you have to kind of try to get to know them, look at their background, and and uh, you know what they do for a living, what their hobbies are, their interests, and just get to know them as a person uh, as, as best you can. Um, you know, there's, there's some people who just, uh, uh, you know, are out for a lark. They're just, uh, they're hoaxers or they, uh -huh. they want the attention um, for all the wrong reasons. 
but uh, there's also a lot of people out there uh, who have some really interesting, important information to share, their own experiences. And, uh, and you know, there's still a lot of them that haven't come forward. So as much as possible, we, we need to encourage uh, to find out as much as we can. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, another question I've, I've been thinking about during this interview is, do you see, um, let's see if I can put this, how I want to put this. For the people that have been abducted, and I, I've talked to people who are claiming that there's some aliens that are nicer than others. Have you heard reports of that? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, a lot of times people will report that, um, say, in an abduction situation, that uh, they're taken aboard a craft and, say, there's a medical examination or something. Mm -hmm. And there's one usually is a taller member of the group who communicates with them, and it's usually by telepathy. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, they have a very friendly, outgoing manner, whereas there's these smaller grays or whatever, who seem to, uh, who seem sort of more like the, the worker bees, you know, the, the drones who, who have a mission to do accomplish, and they're they're going madly about what they have to do, while, while this other one's kind of more laid back and uh, tries to reassure them that hey, you know, we're not going to hurt you. We're just uh, running some tests or whatever. Um, and uh, and then of course there's uh, there's people who have had very positive experiences and then they've had turned around and, and uh, described experiences that were uh, very frightening with uh, encounters with uh, beings that were, well, uh, Keel's reference to monsters is kind of fits in, you know. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm working on one now that I'm going to present in the next issue with a guy who uh, described kind of an encounter he had with an angelic type uh woman in a white robe floating in around in his house. And uh, he felt very positive about that encounter. And it was the same feeling he had years earlier with a UFO encounter he had where this beam of light came in his bedroom window. But then he had uh, other experiences uh, that were the complete opposite, you know, so uh, separate other experiences. So mm -hmm. um, you encounter you know that uh, you kind of led to believe that there's uh, there's the good, bad, and the ugly. I guess. I guess it's like that anywhere, you know. Um, let's talk about missing time a little bit. I had an experience a few years ago driving down uh, what we call right now Highway 99 out of Sacramento, and uh, we ended up in a completely different area. You know, the next thing we knew, it was like an hour later, we ended up in a completely different area that we than what we intended to be in and we still to this day what i thought was interesting was it was like going through some kind of time slip because when i was a kid growing up um that particular part of the freeway has the old style overpasses and i remember i would lay in the back of the hatchback back then we had hatchbacks guys you know back in the old days mm -hmm. and i would i would look up there and you you would see the vines and stuff grow you know growing over the sides of the overpasses yeah. and so as whatever happened that that day because it was it was it was just before sunset still bright enough it was in the summer but i remember driving and my friend was in the car with me and and i'm looking up 
as I'm driving, and the overpasses suddenly had vines on them. Like they did when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember looking up, because it's really populated in this area, you know, going out to where, where we were headed. And I remember looking out there, and I thought, there's no city lights out there. And the next thing I know, it was an hour later. Okay, hold on just a moment. I'm having a uh, <laughs> meltdown here. There you go. It's well, I'm about to go offline, so let me get this in the butt here. Okay. Computer issues. I'm well aware of those, boy. Well, I. I just got this computer today and just set it up. So <laughs> you never know what they're going to do. Yeah. No, and <laughs> I, I noticed uh, it was starting to act up. So anyway, it says restart to install the newest Windows. Oh uh, well, I'll do that later. Da -da -da -da. <laughs> okay, well that's that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, so. You had not only the the missing time, but also seeing things uh, in that area that that look different than they normally do. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, um, I've I've heard of that. Uh, I know a couple of people who are up near uh, they were up near Point Pleasant, West Virginia, going on a the two lane highway coming down from uh, I think it's Route Two from. Um, the TNT area, which figures prominently in the the Keelian Mothman story, there, and right. uh, they claim they saw they both saw something just flying, a dark figure flying across the road there, and they got into town, realized they had some missing time, and uh, just this thing a little, and that they also uh, found that when they went back, uh, there was a gas station that he remembered that wasn't there. And uh, there was one location where there was like, I think it was fields of corn on both sides and there was only one side when they're back. So they were puzzled about uh, not only the missing time, but yeah, about the uh, the terrain, it looked different, you know, was they over, right. overlapping into another, uh, another dimension or something or, or what? Um, so, you know, we can't help but speculate, <laughs> even though we we don't really, really know. I kind of wonder, you know, a lot of the people having the experiences also seem to be like in an altered state. Keel noticed that years ago. And you wonder, okay, well, we have so many different kinds of scenarios of beings from this place and that place and different appearances. Uh, could this all be like uh, an induced planted memory uh, and you know we're trying to figure it out based on the surface appearance of the experience when we really uh, it could be something a little more complicated uh, it could be partly what they're projecting in a mind and they find what uh, what we can accept and then they maybe uh, they're reading us and then they're giving us an experience that uh, uh, we can you know, perhaps except from our particular worldview of things and whatnot, and uh, and then maybe we we unconsciously 
we remember the experience the ways that we're more comfortable with. I mean, it's it's a it's a lot to a uh, lot to ponder. <laughs> right, right, right. Do you find that um, hypnosis works with people that that have missing time, or, or do you, you kind of shy away from that? I kind of shy away from it. You know, I um, I know I was telling Keel one time on the phone about someone I was. Uh, I had done a little hypnosis and uh, mm-hmm. I was planning to hypnotize a certain lady and he said, don't mess with her mind. You know, he had done some hypnosis earlier and he just mm-hmm. felt that it was potentially, um, it was just best to work with the, the conscious memories. And I know that Jacques Vallée, uh, an interview I did with him, told me essentially the same thing that they kind of, uh, people even had problems in some of the cases that he was, in, you know, he'd studied. Uh, from hypnosis. He even described in, I think it was confrontations, um, an instance where somebody hypnotized a person who was having experiences. And then there was a whole, I guess it was like a support group and then just opened it up to anyone that wanted to ask the person questions, you know, instead of having uh, a good confident hypnotist who would be conducting the session on their own, just, just them, you know, instead of opening it up to, uh, free for all. So, um, and he consulted with psychiatrists who thought, now this is a bad idea. Although, you know, so he felt, they both felt that hypnosis, I think, was being overused. I mean, there's some circumstances where uh, if you get the right uh, right person to do it, it would be. And I know there's a lot of people who are using hypnosis and going to disagree with me on that. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, I know I did work with someone that wanted to be hypnotized. And first I tried to get all their conscious memories in, in order and then see what we could come up with, you know, uh, using the hypnosis just in case there was any big differences, which they weren't. You know, I did one session and, uh, and everything seemed pretty much uh, the same as what they, she consciously remembered. Of course, what she what she consciously remembered was was UFO type stuff, but it was kind of uh, uh, a lot of it was visionary too. So, um, but it was pretty wild. <laughs> um, what do you think? Uh, all these medical experience, uh, experiments that people are undergoing on these ships are going towards it. Do you think? Do you think they're making hybrids? Do you think they're just storing the DNA, or, or what's going on? Uh, well, I, um, I know there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of speculation about the hybrid, you know, thing. And, and, uh, and that goes back to, to, um, I think, you know, like Bud Hopkins looking into that and, and uh-huh. David Jacobs and so on. But, um, again, I don't know if that's just sort of an, you know, a symbolic archetypal thing for something else that's just being carried on from one person's, uh, you know, memories to another, and they're being kind of uh, manipulated, or it's what we can, you know, we've heard something similar, so we we just carry on those particular archetypal ideas. Um, what they really mean, um, it uh, uh, could be very, you know, it's like Jungian symbology or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, archetypes of the collective unconscious or um, because, uh, you know, there have been similar 
accounts, I think, of things that go back centuries and centuries before the modern era, you know, uh, fairies like Valley's book where he compared the UFO phenomena to uh, to fairies back in uh, his in 69 with his uh, passport to Magonia. Um, you know, they they claimed that uh, there were these fairy lights. They would be taken underground. They would have missing time, sometimes for years. And uh, and there was also the, uh, you know, uh, the thing of mating with fairies and such, you know. So uh-huh. there's just a, you know, where does this all come from? Are we dealing with um, different frames of reference that carry certain similarities for some reason? Uh, are they using the same old script, but just changing it a little bit, you know, for the, mm-hmm. the times that we live in or, um, but it, uh, it does make you wonder, you know, what, <laughs> what is going on here? Uh, why is this keep going on for centuries and centuries and centuries? Uh, uh, you know, when you look in the Bible, uh, Enoch and Ezekiel, uh, were they alien experiencers uh, or, were they ultra terrestrials or what, you know, or were they simply the, um, you know, it was God. Of course, all these kind of things in the past, uh, before the space age, were spiritual phenomena, you know. Uh, maybe one of our best in, in, in the last, in recent times, uh, some of the best encounters were like uh, the Fatima a Fatima, a Fatima, Portugal, Dance of the Sun, October 13th, 1917. Um, maybe 70,000 people witnessed that. Um, a big disc coming down out of the, the sky, and and it had been raining, and suddenly everything dried up, and, uh-huh. and uh, uh, people actually were afraid this big disc, the disc of the sun, was going to come down and land on them and crush them. Um, and uh, and in Egypt, uh, outside Cairo, in, in Zayatan, there was uh, thousands of people, and they even photographed them. Um, these lights and the Virgin Mary appearing on top of a, a church there in, in Zayatan, uh, Muslims and, and uh, Christians alike. And uh, there's, you know, it's can't think of any, I mean, those were uh, very similar to a you know UFO, but they were such huge, huge crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and witnesses. Uh, I know everybody's talk about the uh, you know the encounter groups, but mm-hmm. we haven't been able to we haven't been able to achieve that kind of. <laughs> uh, scenario yet where we have 70,000 people observing all this. Well, when you look back through time, it makes sense that they might equate these things with fairies because I mean, it's just the time you're, it's just the time that you're born and you're living. You're going to equate with, you're going to, you're going to equate what you don't understand with something that you know, you know, something that you know about, you know, something that your mind will rationalize. So, I mean, it makes sense that they would think of these, of these sightings as fairies or whatnot, you know, and I mean, look at back in the Egyptian times and back in the times of Jesus, when this stuff was going down with Ezekiel and, and, and the wheel and all that, you know, the wheel in the sky, 
because that's what they equate that stuff you know, with. That's how they explained it. Well, we equate spaceships with with these because that's uh, that's kind of what we're familiar with. You know, we mm -hmm. kind of jump to that conclusion, um, and uh, we really, I think, know less than what we think we actually know. It's kind of a, a surface reflection. You know, we just we just sort of look at it and we assume that because you know it uh, it looks like a duck and it makes a sound like a duck, it's a duck, you know, but right. um, uh, I think it's a little more potentially complex than that. And uh, um, and people uh, see these things and they may be a, I mean, they go through solid walls. They do very mm -hmm. ghost-like stuff, very paranormal yes. things. And, and, uh, uh, and there's even those that they claim that receive healings and, and all kinds of paranormal <laughs> components to it. Um, so it, it, uh, and really, I mean, for me, it could be ultra terrestrials. It could be extraterrestrials. Uh, like I say, with quantum physics, parapsychology, mm -hmm. if you really take all that science or what's trying to be a science seriously, um, there's the potential for this being uh, far more complex. And uh, I mean, if honestly, if, if I had just, when I started out as a teenager, hadn't become familiar with John Keel and Jacques Vallee, I probably would have got bored with UFOs after a certain <laughs> period of time, you know, but uh, it takes in so much of uh, human history and, uh, how it's affected us, our cultures, our societies, our spiritual beliefs and things, and uh, um, our search for meaning. Um, I think that's why, you know, I have this obsession with it. You know, it's there's something there. It's, uh, it's hard to exactly describe and, and, and explain without sounding like a, like a madman. <laughs> No, I agree. Just like uh, you know, on the last note here before we end, you know, I always felt after reading um, that book, uh, Abduction in the Mojave, and seeing what those people went through after they were abducted, it made me wonder as a paranormal investigator what we were actually hunting. Because, like mm -hmm. you say, the way you describe it, they float, they come, they can go through walls, just like a ghost does. You know, mm -hmm. or, or just like a ghost, the reported ghosts do. Or these EVPs that we get that sound like they're they're so far off, or they're mechanical sounding, you know. So it makes a lot of sense to make you wonder whether or not what you're investigating is actually a ghost or it's or, or it's or it's alien intelligence. And and you've had prominent uh, UFO investigators like Rosemary Galley, uh, Gordon Crichton of the England's Flying Saucer Review, and mm -hmm. and Ann Druffle there in California who actually felt that they could be uh, like the Muslim jinn, which were also kind of dwarfish-like and uh, could appear and disappear and abduct people, use them for sexual purposes. And, uh, you know, there's there's been a whole history of all these beings from all these different cultures uh, having a lot of similarity to our abducting greys and, and mm -hmm. angelic beings and everything. And it's just kind of a... Uh, packaged a little differently from culture to culture. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You know what? This hour blew by. I want to thank you for coming on. 
Oh my gosh, I learned so much tonight listening to you. I've been wanting to get you on for a long time, and I was really excited when you when you agreed to come on. I would love to have you on again in the future. We could talk some more about this stuff. But how can people reach you? How can, you know? How, 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 you know, what's your contact info okay. for your books and all that? Okay, well, uh, my books are on on Amazon, but they can uh, go to my uh, online magazine, Alternate Perceptions, at apmagazine.info. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, they can also write me at Brent Rains, uh, B R E N T. Well, it's right there on the screen. Uh, but all is one word Brent Rains at yahoo.com. And okay, they'll reach cool. me just like you did. <laughs> all right, cool. I would love to have you on again as a guest. I'm just, I just, there's so much I like to pick your brain about. Well, I, I feel like I told you everything I know. <laughs> <laughs> or don't know. There but anyway, you thank, you, thank you very much, Cheryl. Appreciate well, thank it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. Have a good evening. All right, you too. All Take right. care. Bye bye. All right, guys. That was Brent Rains. I like I said, I've been trying to I've been wanting to get him on for a long time. I mean, he is he has been doing this for a long, long time. I want to thank you guys for coming tonight. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five of your enemies. We're equal opportunity here. And like I said earlier, we're trying to get our YouTube numbers up. And uh, the more you subscribe, the better it is for us in the end. You know, because we just we want to build that up, build up our audience. I see uh, Donna, Donna came in. Jerry came in. Jennifer came in. Marisa came into the chat room this, this evening. And, uh, yeah, I appreciate all you guys coming in. I really do. And, and following us with these shows. Um, we are nonprofit, and this is the time when I get to beg for money to support to support the show, like PBS. California Haunts is a nonprofit paranormal investigation team, so everything we do here is uh, coming out of my pocket. And if you could find it in your heart to donate something to us at PayPal.me at California Haunts, that would be great. If you have issues with PayPal and you still want to donate, we also have a Venmo, and it's really easy. You go into the Venmo app, and all you type in is California Haunts, and you can just do it from there. But I really appreciate everyone that's donated this the past couple months. It's been great. You know, I've been able to pay the bills and keep the show on because we want to keep guests like Brent Rains coming in to talk with you guys and all that, good, you know, and all that about all the topics that we talk about because we don't always talk about paranormal stuff. We're talking about, you know, we're we're talking about law stuff and all kinds of stuff. In fact, tomorrow show is going to be really kind of cool. Rick Mixter, who you've probably seen on Discovery Channel or the various chat, the, the various uh, information channels, even PBS, he has done diving in, in the Great Lakes. Looking at lo- looking for the Great Lakes wrecks, like the Edmund Fitzgerald and stuff like that. He is going to be on tomorrow talking about that. So he will be here at six thirty p.m. Pacific time uh, to talk to talk about all those Great Lakes wrecks and stuff that he's investigated. So that's going to be a kind of cool show. Again, I want to thank you guys for coming and uh, remind you guys again about the event on the nineteenth. If you, if you feel like you you, you want to get a psychic reading, uh, actually three psychic readings because she's going to do. Three, uh, three questions that, that, that you ask. Um, check that out on our website at www.californiahauntsradio.com. Also, all of our archives are there, so if you want to go in and see any back shows or anything like that, go on into that page, and you, and you can actually access everything we've done. Anyway, again, I want to thank you all, and I will see you tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. I appreciate all of each and every one of you that follow this show. And I'm talking to people that follow us as a podcast as well. The people from around the world, because we do have people in Europe and the mid East that follow us and Canada and you name it, they follow us. And I'm really excited to have you all. So thank you so much. And 
I will see you guys. Oh, let me cue it up. See, wrong button. I will see you guys tomorrow.